Uno is the only Spanish number I know. <laughs> hello, it looks like we are live. Oh, hello, 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 Meredith. How are you doing? Hi. Good afternoon. Uh, still morning here, but doing doing great. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you're putting up with some pretty intense heat over there right now, yeah? Always. Yes. Austin, <laughs> Texas, triple digits Fahrenheit. Uh, I've got a bunch of fans in my office. <laughs> it's hot here. So, yep, it's, it's uh, you know, the usual par for the course for August. Nice. We had that once on one day uh, not so long ago. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, well, thank you for joining us and thank you all for tuning in, whether you're tuning in live or whether you're tuning in on the podcast, whichever podcast player you tend to use it from. Uh, this is VUX World. I'm your host, Kane Sims. I'm joined today by Meredith Schultz, who is the Senior Conversation Design Manager at LivePerson. We're going to get into an epic conversation about scaling conversation design teams, practices, processes, and all of that good stuff. There's going to be a lot of learnings and a lot of insights coming right up. But before we get into that conversation, I want to give a quick shout out to uh, the Voice Summit, VUX UX world this year has a presence at Voice Summit. When I say presence, I mean we're actually running a conference at Voice Summit. We've got a room, there'll be 150 odd guests there, uh, business leaders, practitioners, service providers, the whole nine yards. And we're going to be talking exclusively about how to automate your contact center. We've got Core AI as the presenting sponsor. We're going to have talks there from a whole bunch of different companies, Landry's Restaurant, and a whole bunch more. Uh, and so if you want to be there and learn from literally, you know, some of the best in the business, some fantastic case studies and some great insights, you can go to voicesummit.ai to find out more and get your tickets. And if you use the code VUX20, as you might suspect by hearing the number 20 in that, you will save 20% on your tickets. So please do that. You will not regret it. And the second thing, on September the 1st, I'm running a workshop, a customer experience maturity workshop with Cognigy, and we're going to be walking through how you can develop your customer experience maturity. Some of the conversation that we have today with Meredith may well actually be relevant for that. Uh, so if you are interested in figuring out where you stand on the CX maturity scale, the kind of things that you can do to advance your maturity, improve your customer experience, and build out and scale your team and your impact, then please do go to vux.world forward slash Cognigy to register for the free workshop. And it's a workshop. It's not a webinar. So don't be turning up and turning your camera off and sitting in the corner checking your emails. You'll roll your sleeves up and we're going to actually do some work. So it is uh, looking forward to that. vux.world forward slash Cognigy. Uh, so with that... A timely topic and a relevant topic to that workshop is the art of scaling and the the uh, the science of developing maturity in this space, which we, which you've been doing quite a lot of Meredith since you started at that live person. When did you start there? Yeah, yeah. Let's see. It was November 2020, so you know, right in the height of a pandemic and everyone you know dealing with all kinds of new problems, uh, and it has been. Uh, quite the whirlwind, uh, exciting, moving very quickly uh, as our team grows and we get more customers and this industry expands. So yeah, it's been super fun to kind of ride that um, wave and and be a part of everything that's happening in the space uh, nice. as of recent. Yeah. Nothing like being thrown in the deep end. Uh, <laughs> oh, <we've> got... <laughs> I'm so used to that. I, I've been in a bunch of startups prior to this, so uh, the the team that I'm in is actually sort of a startup within uh, the company. So it's a good mix of you know big company, uh, but we've got a small team that's been growing, uh, and it's been been really fun to scale alongside uh, as we nice. grow the customer base. Nice, nice. That sounds good. So were you doing conversation design before that? Yeah, yeah. So how I got into it, uh, it's been, let's see, 2016 was my pivot year. Uh, before that was in marketing, specifically mobile marketing. Um, and so in 2016, I said, let's, I'm, I got to go freelance. My coworkers at <laughs> my job, uh, where I was at like a mobile startup, um, they, they always heard me talking about conversation design and conversational commerce. And I basically wouldn't shut up about it. Um, so I eventually said, okay, I got to get into this early. Uh, I quit my job. I, became a freelancer and consultant uh, and started specifically targeting um, companies in the AI space. 
and would help them with both the marketing side and then also just you know start working on conversational experiences. So I slowly kind of built up the um, you know different customers, different experiences, a lot in B2B, a little bit in B2C, did a few SMS bots, uh, Slack bots. Then I found a, one company that I ended up spending more of my time with and then went full time. Uh, and so we were, we have, we did bots there as well. And I worked on the conversational experience there. So, uh, that was more on enterprise B2B space. And I knew I wanted to get back into, uh, B2C. So when I saw live person had been following him for a while, was super excited about this position, uh, in the managed service, managed services or, uh, professional services team. So, um, yeah, I, t- I took that on in November 2020 and uh, started with a few a few designers and we've since been adding to the team and, and adding on different roles, um, building out a design system. So, yeah, lots of lots of things uh, needed to happen quickly to be able to move fast and uh, launch for various brands. Hmm. Interesting. The um, so live person historically was more of a BPO, wasn't it? If you go back far enough, a- a business process not was it always a conversational ai kind of automation company or was it more of a process outsourcing company originally uh so it actually started uh it's been around 25 years uh our founder is still the ceo rob lucasio uh and it started with being the actual live person in the corner of your website. So the live chat uh, window. So they've been doing that for a long time uh, and then got into AI, uh, built out the conversational cloud platform that we use today, uh, several years back, leveraging all of that um, knowledge and and transcripts and customer conversations uh, in the web, doing the live web chat. Um, So took that and then built out a full customer engagement platform, uh, you know, still doing contact center management in agent workspace, but now we've uh, added on AI, tons of different uh, customer engagement capabilities to basically create all of these one-to-one uh, conversations on all the different messaging channels. So we can uh, pretty quickly get uh, an automated experience out on all those major channels, so SMS, uh, Apple Messages for Business, Google Business Messages, uh, WhatsApp, Messenger, all, all of the messaging channels. Uh, and then we added on voice uh, more recently. So going more into the voice space and, and doing some things like IVR deflection to SMS, uh, voice analytics. So yeah, really covering that full breadth of customer journey um, on conversational use cases. Mm. How has the kind of adoption of uh, those kind of like Apple business messaging, Google My Business, those kind of like more, I would say, fringe channels? I mean, most people, when they start, they'll say, oh, we need a chatbot. We're going to do something on the website. We're going to put something in our app. WhatsApp, quite popular. You know, it's a well, well kind of traverse channel. And we had uh, we had Decathlon on the show a while back, uh, Charles Goth from, from Decathlon, and they were doing pretty decent stuff on Google My Business, but it's not something that you hear that many people doing, and there's not, not many people you hear uh, on the Apple business messaging channel either. I wonder if you can shed a bit of light on, from your experience, what's the adoption been like on those kind of more fringe kind of channels? Yeah, we that's actually now our number two channel. Uh, and then for some brands, it's actually their most popular channel, uh, which I'm really excited to see because I was following uh, back when it was called ABC, Apple Business Chat. I was following that way early and got a sandbox account. and was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be game changer. Um, so yeah, we a lot of brands will still start on web, um, but we're starting to actually launch on, uh, I still call it ABC. Uh, we're starting to launch on these um, asynchronous channels uh, more frequently now because customer base is primarily iOS users or Android users. Um, and with those tools, you can create new entry points to start a conversation. So um, Apple has chat suggest where you can actually you know, look up you know, you're, you're looking for, uh, on Google for, um, a, a business's phone number. And then instead of actually, when you tap call it, you're actually prompting up an option to use messaging instead. And so mm-hmm. then your conversation can actually start and, you know, live with alongside all of your friends and family, uh, uh SMS messages. And, uh, we can start from there. And that's actually been, 
um, growing in the last, just since I've been here. Um, you know, we see conversations, uh, conversation volume shift from, oh, they're primarily web to now, oh, we're getting more volume on ABC and GBM. Um, which is really exciting. And so then that, with that comes some different use cases that we have to design for too. And, you know, someone's starting a conversation, uh, you know, asking what, where's your, where's your, uh, what are your hours today? And you know, kind of all these different things, you know, can, can I place an order now straight here from uh, ABC, for example? So yeah, it's kind of changing, but I, I think it's super exciting um, because that's the way people want a message. That's one of the reasons I got into the space is, uh, you know, you could have that asynchronous conversation and uh, just kind of pull up that conversation as you have time in between meetings or, you know, whatever you're doing in your day. So, yeah, it's been interesting to see that and, and also, you know, watch the, the different UI elements, um, you know, get added onto those channels as well. So like Apple finally added uh, quick replies. <laughs> so we're excited about that in our team. Um, and, you know, those, that just makes things a little bit easier, but of course want to keep it conversational using NLU too. Mm. That's a really good idea though. I didn't realize that was the case where you can go onto Google and where there's a phone number, when you tap it on your phone, having that kind of business messaging suggestion, that's really good that because that's what a lot of chatbots are trying to do. They're trying to intercept traffic from the website hitting the call center. Yep. And that's basically exactly what it is. And usually, though, with Apple, you don't really have any control over that much stuff because that's at the operating system level, isn't it? So for them to have a to make that decision is actually a decision that's in favor of every business that might want to use a chatbot or might want to deflect calls from the call center. And it's being done at an operating system level, which is really unique. Yeah, I, 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 like I said, I geeked out on it <laughs> so, uh, very early on. Um, and I believe it's still, they've been slowly opening it up as the years go on. Um, we are a partner, so we do, you know, have a direct relationship with Apple and uh, can work with them and also provide feedback uh, on different use cases. So it's been exciting to, you know, kind of see the inside look there um, on helping them actually update that platform um, for different use cases that we're seeing with customers. So yeah, there's some cool things I think they're working on. Um, and, you know, we're sharing use case use cases with some of our brands as well, talking about, hey, if we had this or if this worked this way, we could, uh, you know, create an even more seamless conversation that maybe requires not even having to leave um, the chat because sometimes we'll, you know, send external links and, and take someone out to complete a task or, you know, maybe pay or various things. So, um, yeah, they're, they're continuously building on that on both Apple and Google side. And, uh, yeah, it's, I enjoy it. <laughs> I think it's cool. <laughs> I, as a user want that, um, yeah. it's just easiest. And, and, you know, in case you forget about it, you're not held hostage to a website chat window, right? Like no one wants that. I have too many tabs on my screen. Um, and then it also allows for things like if you do start a message on web, think about uh, deflecting to get someone into uh, one of these other asynchronous channels. So, hey, this, you know, if you start, uh, you know, a support ticket request on web, uh, maybe it's going to take a day or two to follow up. You're probably not going to keep that window open. So let's move it to um, Apple Messages for Business and iMessage or move it to Google, Google business, business Messages uh, and you know follow up then and then keep that conversation open for the next time you need something, right? Um, so I think that's a great way and, and you know where things are headed uh, for brands and uh, customer engagement. Mm, definitely. I think that whole asynchronous stuff is really useful, isn't it? And we're not even anywhere close to scratching the surface with that. It's a little bit like the whole WeChat model, isn't it? Where you've got kind of like conversations with brands open all the time almost. And so you can just dip into your messages and kick off a conversation. And I think if you can, if you're a brand and you can get into your text message inbox and educate people about the fact that they can have persistent conversations with you in there, I think that that territory is, uh, incredibly unexplored and unlike your likes of google assistant alexa and, and those kind of channels where it was a big effort to kind of get people to go there right, right. people are already there because they're already it's already on the phone you know um what what kind of use cases are you seeing work well there is it is it is it the similar kind of stuff like the you know general faq opening times kind of stuff or is there, is there some other kind of use cases that you're seeing working well on on the apple front 
yeah, I think it is definitely the the use cases that require those asynchronous, um, you know, uh, use cases that might take a few days. So uh, in retail, hey, uh, I have a question about a specific product uh, that might require, it might be something very specific that a live agent needs to handle. Um, so being able to initiate that, um, ask a question and then, you know, wait for a response, that's pretty cool. And then continuously op, uh, automating that down the road uh, is something we look at. Um, or even, you know, support tickets, um, those sort of things that require a few days of time in between, the, you know, for the whole user journey, essentially. Um, so those, those I think, work really well. Uh, obviously, the, the, you know, the usual things where, uh, like you mentioned, you know, what, when are you open? Uh, you know, it's a holiday. Uh, you know, have different questions about just kind of general FAQ. That definitely, we still get a lot of that and see that. Um, and then sort of a harder one, I would say, is more on that commerce side, um, which, you know, is, is hard to do if you're browsing products or ordering something and doing that within the confines of a, uh, a small, you know, chat window on your phone isn't probably the best. But for repeat orders, I think that's a, a really good one. So if you think about like quick service restaurant, um, that's one where someone can say, yeah, it's, you know, it's my Friday lunchtime, regular meal, reorder, done. Um, so those sort of things, I think, and, and that makes sense, right? With a, with a long-term relationship that you have with a brand, uh, you're going to appeal to those VIP or repeat users a lot more with this uh, asynchronous uh, messaging channels, right? Uh, so yeah, I think there's, there's, we're starting to explore that. And I think as uh, users get more comfortable with, okay, these are the workflows I can use without having to open an app or go on the website or make a phone call. Um, we're going to see more of that sort of behavior and getting more comfortable with that over time. Mm, mm, nice. Uh, shout out to Ashwin and Renato on the, uh, on the LinkedIn chat. We've got a question from Ashwin, which is, uh, does your team do consulting due diligence of UX and CX, uh, or do you work only from post requirements and at the design stage? I think he's asking whether your team gets involved in the initial part of a project, which is all around use case scoping, requirements gathering, mm -hmm. or whether your team gets involved in projects when it comes to, okay, we've got the use case, we know the requirements, now let's go and design something. I wonder if we could talk us through a little bit about your remit and, and where your kind of role and your team starts and ends. Yeah, yeah. So a little bit of both. Primarily, we know what we need to build uh, to some degree at a high level uh, as when we start a project. But um, I get involved uh, earlier in that scoping just to you know, ask the key questions. Is this a conversational use case? Uh, do we have the read APIs? Those sort of things. Um, we have a lot of experts on our team, even outside of the core conversation design team, though. So we have AI strategists. Um, we, of course, have our salespeople and account executives. So everyone's sort of working towards that overall, OK, what is the right um, strategy for your uh, conversational AI you know, transformation journey? Um, so there is there are those conversations. Sometimes I get involved. Um, and often, though, we're, we're getting that information and then, you know, it's time to go. <laughs> so we stay focused primarily 80 percent of the time on uh, executing on that work. Right. So there's a lot to do just and dig into the details um, that, of course, no one wants to think about. <laughs> but we make, you know, we make them think about it. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely important. Someone needs to be doing it. Um, and and we've, we're kind of honestly experimenting with that model a little bit now and, and determining what's most efficient, what's the best use of a designer's time, um, who else can kind of understand this. And so I think about things like a questionnaire, uh, you know, a kickoff list of things to do and things to ask uh, upon starting a project uh, and you know, also the intake, the discovery of that. So we definitely do the discovery side of Okay, you ha you don't have any conversational experiences right now. Um, where are your you know customer conversation logs right now happening? Do you have email logs? Do you have phone logs? Uh, where where is all of this information that we can start looking at um, to determine you know how users say intents and create training phrases and all those sort of things? So 
we've got a big discovery um, sort of intake process and the discovery phase is usually uh, a week or two depending on the size of that brand. Uh, and, and our team definitely gets involved in Sometimes we have multiple meetings with a customer just on that so we can get up to speed uh, because our team does act as if we are the in-house uh, conversational AI team for our customer. So we're, we're really onboarding to that brand and um, learning about all of their business processes and terminology and you know, brand tone of voice to create persona, all those sort of things. So discovery is a big piece. and. I would say you know you're going to have better conversational experiences if your designer is, you know, fully involved with that process as early as possible. Mm-hmm. Great and question. Was, yeah, it was a good question. That yeah, um, the going from what you, you went from three designers to ten designers is that right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> twelve. Twelve. It's going on twelve. Yes. <laughs> cool. Cool. Uh, so. Uh, there's another comment here from from Renato actually, which I think speaks to I think what a lot of people will be able to relate to, which is that uh, one person armies in these positions seems about right. His comment is, and that's it, that is typically the case with companies that are just beginning. They will find one person. They'll either bring in a person if they're going to do it in-house or they will find someone like a content designer or a marketer or maybe someone works in the call center, someone who understands the business and maybe can write and they'll give them the conversation designer role. So the first project or so may well just be an an individual working on the design. But then inevitably, as you start to implement more use cases, you start to implement different channels, the whole thing gets far too complex and far too overwhelming for one person. And therefore, you will have people beginning to scale the uh, the team. Mm-hmm. And so what are some of the considerations from someone who's been through that process of building a, a conversation design team? What are some of the key considerations to, to consider early on when you're just about to kind of either go and recruit or you're planning to formulate a team? Like what are some of the real considerations you need to think about at that point when you're still small? Oh yeah, that's a good question. Um, so yeah, I think it's, there's that first person is, uh, you know, there's a lot that that person is just going to learn and experiment with. Um, so they're going to, they're going to create, they're going to find all kinds of learnings, uh, that then, uh, you know, can be taken to form, how are we going to expand? Are we going to, uh, go across multiple channels? Are we going to go deeper, uh, on and create more intense? Um, how are we really going to make, you know, make this the best for our customers? Um, so there's a lot of different roles we have in our teams. And of course they're sort of pod structure, um, working on a few accounts at a time, but, uh, I can share sort of those roles and, and how we think about that. Um, so we have, there's, there's definitely an optimization layer to this, right? Uh, so you, you're not just designing and then leaving it. (laughs) So the optimization piece, I think is one area where you can say, okay, how can we, how can we expand and create that, um, feedback loop that's going to constantly be improving, uh, a conversational experience and, it's awesome that, you know, we get real user utterances and we can do that in, in such a faster way than you can with, you know, a web or an app experience. Right. Um, so having another optimizer, I would say uh, someone who maybe isn't a designer, they don't have to have that full design background of uh, UX and design thinking, but they've done sort of the, the growth um role before, or they have been looking at customer data, maybe they've been already in a contact center environment where they're, you know, looking at metrics and and seeing, oh, hey, where are the friction points? Um, So someone who is sort of more in that optimization role is going to be looking for insights that then fuel back to the designer to say, hey, I found a problem, but, you know, designer, you're going to fix that. (laughs) You're going to come up with ways that we can fix that. Um, So that's, I think, a key role. And uh, we've, you know, we've had people in that role um, who were originally uh, an agent uh, or in customer support um, or people who have been more on that kind of analytics and growth side, um, similar to like back when I was in marketing, we do sort of, you know, optimization on uh, marketing funnels and that sort of thing. Um, So you can you can find someone with different skill sets for that optimization role. Um, and then if you're still sort of expanding, you might want someone who's more of like a product manager, um, or bot manager role who's thinking about, 
um, how are we, you know, how are we planning for future releases and, you know, what's most important prioritizing because inevitably you're going to have developers <laughs> working alongside designers, right? Um, lots of, you know, lots of out of the box tools. You may be able to get away with it without a developer for a while, but eventually you're going to want to use APIs and all these things and, and get a developer involved. So when you're in that uh, setup, when you have a designer developer, uh, someone who's sort of thinking about that overall agile workflow or, you know, releasing, um, you know, product manager sort of role or project manager uh, is also a good one. Um, and then after that, there's also sort of the NLU optimization side. Uh, maybe your optimizer can also do that. But if you want to specialize more, uh, more of that sort of like tuner or AI trainer role, who's really just looking for additional ways to match uh, intents and phrases uh, and, and improving that NLU model. So those are some of the roles, uh, core roles, and then um, expanding further could be you know, analytics, uh, someone who's really working on the reporting side. There's a lot there that you can think about um, in terms of, you know, there's different metrics, but what about how do we handle, you know, getting someone through the end of a flow? Uh, are they dropping off? So looking at more of that like conversion or um, engagement level and, and going deeper on specific flows to find, uh, are we measuring, do we need to measure, you know, step three of five? How do we do that? And how do we constantly have a report for that? Um, mm -hmm. So having someone in that role also helps because those insights all go back to the designer uh, and can be helpful when creating the next iteration of, of an experience. Mm, interesting. So. I can't remember who it was now that that I've had this conversation with, but so I'm a big I'm a big believer in that optimization role, and I've always said that when you go live with any kind of digital assistant, that's actually the beginning rather than the end totally. of a project. Because, <laughs> yes. because unless you've done some very very robust testing and you've do, you've done some like you know like um you know, sampled sort of testing, like, you know, like a stage rollout or whatever, and you've really been able to optimize it as part of the development process. Most of the time when you go live with something, it's kind of just full of assumptions, isn't it? Totally. And so, <laughs> and so you've got to clean up what you've done, but then you've also got to figure out what's next. And then when, you, when you've designed and developed what's next, you've got to then optimize what's next. And then as new use cases arise, you're always optimizing those use cases. You're always searching for other use cases. You're always doing the stuff that you've just described there, which is actually, you know, three turns into this conversation, this person dipped out. Why is that? And so I think that there's definitely um, a real need for the, and, and there will be more so in future as companies start to scale. But I can't remember who it was that I spoke to about this now. Um, but their thoughts were, I might have actually been Shaimala Parag, Paraga, I think it might have been, who said that actually the AI optimizer role is a short-term role because once something's been optimized, surely it doesn't need to continue to be optimized again. And so I'm curious to get your thoughts on on that perspective, do you think this AI optimizer role is a role that is a core part of the team that will exist forever and there's always things to be optimized, measured, you know, iterated on, you know, roadmaps to be built? Or is it actually a case that in some instances, once you create a bot that, that does a certain number of use cases and you've optimized that to a degree where it's working as well as it arguably may be, then that role becomes redundant? What, what do you think? Hmm, that's really interesting. I haven't heard that before. Um, I definitely think it, you know, as you're reaching that further end of the maturity of your AI uh, and you're not adding on new intents, that should hopefully the, the optimization cadence can be at least slowed down. Um, so maybe they don't need to be as involved as, you know, definitely not after the first couple of launches because the first couple of launches are high stakes. You know, one, one thing could be completely off and, you know, you've got to make quick changes, but two years down the road, if there's not new, uh, intents or, um, capabilities that you're adding, I could definitely see slowing it down. Um, I wouldn't say you don't want to just completely set and forget. Uh, because there's a lot, you know, people change and environment change. There's a lot of other factors that might um, come into play. Like maybe your uh, website or app uh, went through a big update and now users are reacting to that and coming to your bot and asking a question about something new that was launched. Uh, we see that a lot with brands. <laughs> so we always want to you know, stay close with their other experience teams um, or UX teams and, and make sure we know the roadmap of what's coming because 
we've been on the other side of that and, and we don't want to be reactive, right? We, we want to plan ahead. Um, but if there's not, you know, many changes there, um, I could see definitely slowing it down. That's right, that, that it would be defeating the purpose of automation and AI to say, uh, you know, no, no, we, we, uh, we need someone working on it all the time, right? So I, I can definitely get behind that, at least slowing it down, but definitely have, I would say, have an audit you know, every quarter or every six months, if nothing else, to make sure that there's not drastic, you know, changes or, or uh, user behavior isn't, you know, changing too much and, and causing failure points that you didn't recognize before or didn't, you know, ever uncover before. Mm, yeah. You've, you've also got the channel expansion as well, haven't you? You know, you might start with a chatbot, but, you know, you might then go into other messaging channels you might go into your ivr you might think about internal use cases whether that's hr it whatever it might be so from a business point of view the journey for for conversational ai is always that it starts somewhere but it nine times out of ten unless there's some big mistakes that are made and it puts people off forever uh, or for a good period of time then then it's a journey and so every even though one use case may not require so much the next channel the next use case you know will may well you know um, but it's, but another thing that that a, an individual won't think too much about necessarily. They may have a process in their head. They may have a rudimentary system in their head. They may have tools that they use. They may have steps that they take. But it's not anything really that's formal. But then when you introduce the second designer, third designer, fourth designer, fifth designer, now you're at a point where you know you can't really have one person going over there doing one thing, another person going over there and doing another thing. Especially if you're working on the same kind of solution, and even if you're not working on the same solution, you want the company wants to have consistency and quality control as far as your output. You want to make sure that you're delivering consistently to clients and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering whether you can talk us through there. You mentioned you know going through scaling the team and stuff like that, and one of the first things you had to do is put together a design system. I'm wondering whether you can talk us through what the, what that design system looks like for those who are getting to the point where they need to start. You know, I would say, yeah, they may they may take it seriously already, but but more seriously as you start to scale. What does that design system look like? Yeah, yeah, the, and it's a living system, so it, it's definitely you know always as as most UX design teams would tell you that have a design system. It's only as good as you keep it updated, right? So it's constantly uh, updating. At least we, we try to, uh, you know, in, in between other projects. Um, but yeah, that and the design system actually plays in really well with the optimization piece because we're going to learn. We're going to be trying different patterns. We think about you know conversational patterns in the same way there's UI UX patterns of, you know, here's the standard way to do a button or a form. Well, we don't really have that fully yet. We're starting to form some of those things in in conversational design as an industry practice, but uh, I think there's still a lot of experimenting there. So the design system, uh, we started after a few designers joined. We said, okay, we're going to have, we want to move faster for our customers. Um, we're seeing a lot of different things across different brands in our department, a live person. Um, so we're starting to form, you know, best practices and opinions on these tests and say, we tested it here. Let's try it on a different brand or a slightly different use case and see if that works um, just as well. And so they can be things like, um, more, uh, just very kind of more basic things. Like how do we best, when we have to send someone out, uh, to an external link, how do we best display that and show that and, and word that call to action, but also enable for, you know, follow up, um, questions in, in the chat if, if they have them, um, or it can be, you know, kind of more sophisticated things like a return user use case and kind of all the different backend things that have to happen to create that. Um, or how do we do, you know, we have the you know, standard fallback of, you know, two fallbacks, then escalate. But how do we think about sort of the meta view, macro view of uh, what if you have multiple fails during a session, but across different intents or places? Um, we want to create sort of like a loop counter or a way to say, OK, this person is trying to figure something out, but they can't quite. They're exploring different areas of the bot. They're trying different things. Uh, how do we make that a best experience? So we have a bunch of different sort of categories uh, in the design system of uh, best practices, and then uh, some are more on the creative attempt, like here's a way of browsing products, um, or
more. Here's uh, more of like a conversational, uh, you know, adding more personality and, and different things there. So, uh, or it can be super granular, like here's a bunch of ways uh, that people say agent. <laughs> and we want to make sure that we just add that into every bot that we build. So uh, we get to take kind of a little bit of the best of, of learnings and all these experiments across all of our different brands and accounts that we work on and make the next one that we get for a customer even better. Um, so we're sort of always, I, I say, you know, one-upping ourselves. Um, so then we put all that into, um, you know, how does a design system look with output? We're using Notion for it. Um, and we have a bunch of cards, um, 60, 70 or so now. Um, and then we link off to the component or the pattern in what we use. We use Lucidchart. Um, that then fuels into everything in the live person tool. Um, so in loses chart, you can see, you know, oh, here's that return user experience. I can work from this. Maybe I'll adapt it to the flavor of my brand a little bit or, you know, add in something else that I want to do. But at least it's a starting place um, to, to, you know, work from for the designer. Um, and then over time, we have all those components start building out sort of like a template or starter bot, if you will, that has all those best practices and patterns in it. Um, so we, when we get a new brand, we can just start there um, and not have to think about all these things from scratch um, and, and sort of, you know, take all of those different common things, you know, small talk and uh, global commands and return experiences and uh, context and all these different sort of things that build out a good experience and, and uh, you know, take it and build upon it from there. Mm, that's really good. It definitely will expedite the process, won't it? Make things a lot quicker, yes. <laughs> make everything more consistent between between people. Um, so how how do you approach? How does something make it into the design system? You mentioned they're trying different ways of of different kind of phrasing, different things. How many different ways can people say agent? Do you do kind of like active experiments on certain conversational turns and things like that? Like, oh, this this use case is all about returns, and so we've got conversations that we've created that have a sequence here and there or a series of sequences do you do like active testing on that and say okay well now this one's good that can go into the design system because that doesn't fail or here's two ways that we think this conversation might go let's just do some split testing and see which one's best and then like i wonder if you can talk us through if you do any of that kind of like you know nuanced testing on, on either turns or sequences Yes, yeah, that's the that's at least the ideal way we want to do it. Uh, when we have the time to build it out and, and we have a true, uh, we're trying to decide between should we do this or should we do that? Um, or do we want to change the, the current experience that's as is right now? Uh, you know, is this new idea better or worse? So definitely A-B testing, um, definitely do that. Another thing we do just to decide if something goes into the design system is talk about it as a design team. So designers are typically working on different accounts, so they're not um, necessarily multiple designers on one in, in our setup, but then we come together as a team and talk about them. And so we have actually a team meeting later today. So we'll talk about some things that, you know, someone did, they'll, they'll show it, um, do a kind of design walkthrough, and then we'll talk about, okay, well, yeah, could that work for this other brand? Um, you know, do you have any considerations that we should change on this? Do we think this is worthy, so to speak, of the design system? And we're still kind of getting better at that because a lot of it is still sometimes just here's a pattern. This is the first time we've had to do it. Let's put it in there. So that was more last year. And this year is a lot more of the validation uh, and A-B testing piece of it. So definitely, in, you know, hopefully next year and, and evolving this, there is more of the um you know, things have been tested multiple times and we can really put a stamp of approval on it. Uh, but definitely starting to see that in, in some use cases. Uh, and, and that's just, you know, that's, that's what we have to do to keep it um, the best it can be is constantly kind of challenging, you know, is this, is this really going to work for multiple brands or is this just a special situation? Um, so yeah, it's, it's always a work in progress, but definitely testing, <laughs> always, always test and learn. That's kind of been a theme of my whole career, honestly, even back in the marketing days and, and, you know, other different types of products, you've, you've got to keep doing that and tons of it happening here in uh, conversation design. <laughs> nice. Nice. What, what about, where do you stand on kind of like artifact production? So, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming the live person platform 
is a relatively low code environment. Am I right? Is it your team that's that's actually physically going in there and building out these experiences, or do you do the design, architecture, scripting, and then another team like development team or whatever will actually put it into production? Like, does your team do that or not? It depends on uh, where that brand is and its journey. So some of our more long-term customers with bots that have been live for two, three years, we're doing more of that customization that does require development time. Um, but in the beginning, it is typically more, okay, we have out-of-the-box tools for this. Um, does the designer does all of the NLU piece or someone else on the design team. Um, so we're inputting all of the training phrases and, and um, anything NLU, you know, pattern matching, all of that. Um, and then, yeah, as time goes on, though, we've seen uh, we need to get development involved and we're working with APIs and, and that's where things get a little more, okay, this is code versus this is a, you know, form field input. Um, but then we also take, we take a lot of these um, things that we're building out that might be you know, multiple different uh, out of the box features and kind of combining them in a different way. We'll put that in our design system also. Um, and when we test the limits of it <laughs> or, or find, you know, hey, let's, we needed to add a little bit of custom code to this feature for this one brand to make it work for them. We're able to actually go back to our product team and say, "Hey, this would be cool if this feature, you know, in the future did X, Y, Z." And so we're actually our team has a, a great feedback loop with the product team at Live Person too to then make that feature even more easier in the future, so it doesn't require more custom code. Um, so I kind of find that experience fun, and and uh, the design system plays into that too. But yeah, we we uh, use the tool, um, but also I, I mentioned Lucid Chart, so I find we still need to have that full picture view of the bot um, that different stakeholders, you know, right on the client side, uh, non-designers, non-developers can read that lucid chart and make sense of it to understand how is the bot experience growing uh, because it's not a, you know, step one, step two, easy process to follow uh, with natural language, of course, right? So to visualize that, we're still, we're still using lucid chart and doing sort of the flow chart thing and documenting in there, hey, this is where we're going to use uh, one of the live person features like bot summary widget. Um, this information is gonna get stored from the bot to the agent. So the agent has all this information. Um, if you know the conversation has escalated, they don't have to re-ask it. So we'll, we're kind of noting in things that are specific to the live person platform in our lucid chart. Um, just so there's a full picture view to the customer and to other stakeholders of what's going on in the design. Mm, that makes sense. That's that's kind of where I was kind of getting to, which is that, you know, going back again to this this uh, model of smaller teams or single person teams moving into bigger teams um, and, and growing that team. Some of the tools that, that are out there, you know, the low code kind of tools that have got the drag and drop sort of canvas, like, a lot of those tools, even the development platforms, I'm not talking about like the voice flows of the world and stuff. I mean like the 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 Google Dialogflow CX and and the Cognigies and and that kind of those and, and Live Person arguably. I've, I haven't seen Live Person's canvas, but I imagine it's something similar, whereby the design can kind of be represented in the tool. You know what I mean? Like you can see it. There's there's various nodes that connect to each other. You might have to go into each node to figure out what's actually going on, but there's some representation there. Um, and so I think for the for the for the kind of immature teams or the solo artists, for want of a better word, the mm -hmm. temptation is very much to just go straight into the tool and start hammering away. And let's just build something. Let's just knock something up. Let's just get it out there, kind of thing. And then all of a sudden you iterate within the tool. And whereas I think some of the kind of like more purist designers. We'll always want to, before you do that, take a step back. Let's scope this out properly. Let's do some prototyping. Let's do some testing. Let's figure out whether we've got the, the narrative of the conversation right. Let's figure out whether we, we understand where which directions it might go. And then let's represent that visually in some way before, so we know we're happy and we know we're confident. And then we can go towards kind of uh, getting something into production. It sounds as though you're on the latter kind of side of that. I'm wondering whether you might be able to share your thoughts on the the benefits and drawbacks of either approach one going straight to the tool and hammering something out two taking more time creating those artifacts and those those design documents uh and that kind of thing like what what's the benefits and drawbacks of either either approach 
Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Definitely something I've I've thought about at different times <laughs> working on conversational experiences. And I've been in that like one person role in other roles in the past. So I think there's a lot to be done. I mean, a pro there is you can try stuff out quickly. Um, you know, if it's kind of low stakes or everyone's comfortable with let's let's just learn. It may not be good at first. Uh, go in the tool, uh, or if you're kind of doing the same uh, use case and you have a good handling of here's what, you know, here's that best practice journey, um, then yeah, go into the tool, save time. Um, I think it's when you start uh, getting to those more mature or long-term uh, bots and, and, and user journeys, you're, you're going to end up meeting like, okay, wait, how does that, did I create a state for if the person didn't give me this thing, but is a return user, you know, there's all these kind of combinations and, and states and different contexts. And so, unless you, the tool you're using has a really good way to visualize that, I've just found uh, it's better to go, you know, go on that purist side that you mentioned and, and document it um, outside of the tool uh, so that you're not forgetting something and you're not creating, you know, a weird kind of error path or, or a broken journey, because um, that wouldn't be good either. Um, and then as the team grows, that that's where I think you've, yeah, everyone's got to be looking off the same thing or else it, there's going to, you're going to lead to bugs <laughs> very quickly. Um, and so we, even in Lucidchart, we've kind of created all these different, uh, you know, a legend of, of um, different uh, shapes and, and colors and, you know, everything kind of means something and we all understand what that means working together as a team. Um, and so we even document like this, you know, th these three flows we're still designing. This flow is in QA on staging. All of this other stuff is live because when you've got multiple people involved and you're sort of doing this agile method, um, people doing different things at different times, you've got to know that stuff because one, you know, something on staging, if that's misunderstood, that could create a problem. <laughs> so, so we find, I found the only way to do that right now, and I, I hope the tools, you know, I, I'm sure in the next couple of years, we're going to see more of this. Um, but I've only, I found we've got to do that um, at this scale in you know just a uh, more of a design uh, you know purist sort of view so on lucid chart or, or another diagramming tool or um, however you want to document that but um, that's just what that's what I found works um, and I'm very curious to see how you know this evolves in the next couple of years especially with the no code thing so maybe someone will solve that and make it easier I, I've definitely seen some uh, things you know just sort of being demoed in the last six months or so that, you know, people are starting to, these, these products are starting to think about that. Um, so yeah, I think it'll, it'll change over time. Um, and then, you know, hopefully within these, these tools, uh, the conversation designer can not be con so concerned with these things <laughs> and these minute details and that frees up time to think about, you know, more journeys and, you know, more proactive use cases and more personalization and variety um, and kind of all these more, uh, you know, fun or higher level design thinking um, use cases rather than uh, kind of all these like, yeah, all the all the details, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Because cause I've, I've had kind of experience in both sides where the the diagramming tools I've used as uh, really detailed technical architecture diagrams more than anything else. Like mm -hmm. this is where we need to make a call to that API here. And depending on what comes back from that, it could be three different things. So if this one happens, go there. If that one happens, go there. If this one happens, go there. At this point, we need to then ask a clarifying question for that. And, it's like, and it gets really kind of complex really quickly. But what you end up having is, the, the every single ins and outs of every, of every piece of the conversation documented and so there's no question then a lot of the tools that you see will actually abstract a lot of that detail behind nodes so you've got to click into a node then you've got to figure out what's going on then you're clicking something else and then you'll get another screen which then gives you more detail so it, so it's kind of like you've got the high level abstracted in front of you but then to find out what's really going on you've really got to dig in and it seems as though some tools have like the canvas, the design canvas, and then behind that they'll have like a business process layer. It's almost as if like those diagrams are a bit of both. They're a business process because you, you're looking at API calls, you're looking at what links to where and all that kind of stuff, but they're also a conversation design 
documents because you've got this is what the boss is this is what the user is saying here's the intent so it's kind of like a mixture of the two that's needed really i think and i haven't seen that yet which is the ability to be able to design basically a business process which you could call a conversation understand the ins and outs and the nuances of every single part of it while still keeping the integrity of the conversation because what happens with those large documents i'm sure you've felt the same which is that it might be that between one node and another like the user might say this thing between the bot's prompt after that there might be so much stuff going on in the middle that when you're a designer and you're looking through it you can kind of get detached from the conversation a little bit because the conversation happens and it's just one thing says one thing and then the response comes immediately and then you can feel the conversation whereas sometimes with those big documents you get detached from the turn which can be hard to piece together something that's got synergy kind of thing. I don't know where I'm going with that, but it's just a bit of an observation, which is, you know, there's no real right way yet, I don't think. Totally. No, I, I know exactly what you're thinking about. Um, and it's easy to fall in that, into that trap as a designer um, because you're, you're thinking about all these things. And, and sometimes, the, yeah, the, the last thing that you end up thinking about is what does the user see? You know, all this stuff is happening. And I just created like scroll, 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 you know, three pages worth of backend logic and, uh, you know, all these different scenarios that could happen at this any given moment. But then you, you know, if you fail on how the bot responds to the user in one of those, then you failed. Um, so yeah, that's something I, I try when I um, do a design review or um, coach other designers on doing a re design review is just make sure that you're looking at it from that end user perspective, even though you are doing all of this other, you know, thinking that that uh, has to happen behind the scenes. So yeah, I totally, totally followed what you mean. Um, and, and I think, yeah, back to the point of like the different, you know, ways of documenting the design and artifacts. What's really challenging is when all of those things are in different types of documents or you have to, you know, drill in to see this. Um, it's just, yeah, it's hard to follow all of that. So I like to see that full picture. Here's everything. And, you know, I can I can decide what I want to follow, you know, into review. This is user facing copy. This is the back end logic um, rather than, you know, possibly not clicking and drilling into something and, and missing a piece, missing it uh, or, you know, heaven forbid you've got like copy in one file and you know a diagram in another file and you <laughs> in another place like oh my gosh that's that's even harder um and mm. i see a lot of teams starting like that because somebody you know there's either someone different doing it or they're just kind of thinking about it in these you know different buckets um but i i find you end up kind of missing something there you forget something or you don't really end up looking at it in a full picture way from how the user is mm. going to experience it um and yeah. one of the things i see a lot uh with that just this is making me think about it um is when there's an error like okay they said something we, we didn't have a plan for it or the api errored all these kind of different things um and a designer will often because they're thinking about all that back-end logic they're going to be thinking okay problem i'm going to write sort of that error message um where i think we really have to do better at not <laughs> not showing those error messages and keep the conversation moving forward and, and ask ourselves as designers does this really need to be written in the tone of there's a problem or this is an error or is there a way that you can re-ask it um just to get someone back on track but not necessarily create this problematic i'm sorry i don't understand or if there was a problem sort of moment um mm. and, and if you think about what happens in natural language that's that's how you know some a lot two people talking would interact they wouldn't be like problem they would just kind of, you know keep moving on cooperative uh, method right so uh, yeah, I think there, there's some of that that goes into even how the artifacts are portrayed that, that can help you uh, think through moving the conversation forward and, and not creating these kind of stilted responses while you're thinking about all the backend logic. Mm -hmm. I remember I posted something, I wrote something, it was a while ago actually, um, and it was all about how conversation design is going to get far more complex before it gets easier. Because if you look at like the large language model technology and stuff like that, and it's easy to think, oh, well, that's just going to take away all of our kind of content design needs and all of the dialogue around content is going to disappear and all that kind of stuff. But when you actually get into it and you look at some of the use cases that you'll be working on, 
It's like, you know, for retailers, for insurance companies, it's all about business processes. It's all about how you can get someone from one side of a conversation to another, having fulfilled a business process. And all of that requires thought, you know, and all of that thought requires documentation because you need to get out of your mind into something that you can discuss with others and show someone who's going to build it and check it's being built in the right kind of way and that kind of stuff. It's acting how it should do. But then you've got the added kind of complexity of okay it's fine if you're building something for whatsapp but what happens when that whatsapp turns into apple business messaging and that apple business messaging has got different features to whatsapp different front end ui elements different capabilities you can do payments in uh, business messaging you can't do that in whatsapp so there's all of these different channels that have got different features and different quirks about them yet you want to still have the same conversation and so you then need to either iterate your design file to have every single time someone says something or the bot says something or the customer says something, they need to be split out for different channels or a different design file entirely for different channels. So it's going to get far more complex before it gets far easier. I'm wondering whether you can shed some light for those teams as they start to go from one channel to another channel. Uh, how you approach that, how do you approach the design of one use case really but taking into account the fact that it's going to be on different channels and they've both got different front-end UI capabilities. Yes, that is uh, something we, we talk about and we've been uh, trialing some different ways of doing that in, in my team um, and completely understand that problem of, you know, do we design for the lowest common denominator channel? Uh, you know, do we design this if we know we're going to be launching on SMS? Do we just start with SMS? Um, so yeah, there, we've, we've done different things. Uh, I would say if it's the same use case, you're going to probably have 80%, you know, of that design should be roughly the same. Um, so then we start, we say, what's the primary channel, um, that we, that we expect, you know, high volume on. So for, as we were talking in the beginning, uh, a lot of that is now on, uh, Apple messages for business or Google business messages um, or SMS, but you know, even those three are different, right? But we'll start with the one of where do we see um, the users? Where do we expect the volume to come and, and make that sort of our primary uh, that we focus on with design and then add on, you know, okay, on this specific spot, it's going to be shown as a rich link here, but otherwise it's an SM, you know, an SMS, it's just a link. Um, so we'll create, you know, kind of things off to the side of here, here it is on this other channel. Um, here's the slightly different flavor of this same uh, flow. Uh, but what, yeah, what I found is uh, it's a lot harder to say, okay, separate, you know, separate file, separate tab for this whole channel, then do it again in this channel. And now we're just, uh, you know, having to update and do things multiple times. And that just takes up time. So it's better if the whole team, you know, developers, QA, um, the PM, everyone's kind of behind this. Let's create, you know, the same consistent journey with slightly different flavors for um, the different channels. And if everyone understands how to read that um, that design, uh, then we can all be aligned and kind of save time. Um, but we had to go through a couple iterations of like, okay, I have to make this change in three places and three files. We had to go through that pain a little bit before we work towards, um, you know, a, a more collective way to do it faster. Um, but I will say then there's the element of, okay, now we're on different channels and maybe because the entry points are different, you're going to get different uh, user utterances that you need to train for. And you're, so you're going to end up with a little bit of different um, NLU models as you start optimizing down because now your use case is diverging a little bit um, between the channels and people want something different, you know, on an asynchronous channel than they do on the web, for example. They're going to ask questions or they're going to say it a different way. Um, so then you start getting a little more sophisticated. And, and if it starts becoming of, uh, you know, a lot of diverging uh, design, then you might need to expand that and say, here's a whole separate tab for, you know, the way this starts. It, it's, it's different on um, Apple than it is on web, that sort of a thing. Mm, interesting. That's really good. I, I definitely like the remove the waste, you know, yeah. not over, not do things three times. You know, it's all about efficiency. That's good. Um, any any kind of like final thoughts on on advice or insights that you could share with with conversation design teams who are going through that process of going from either one off you to to many? Yeah, I'd say share your learnings and and don't 
assume that there is one best way to do something. It, it's we're definitely in that experiment experimentation phase of conversation design. Uh, I do not assume I know everything. I am always learning something every day from either other designers or customers. Right, like. We, we can always be humbled. So uh, just create just having a, you know, very open um, and transparent you know, discussion about things with your team can go a long way to creating that culture of, OK, we're going to keep optimizing. We're going to keep learning. We're going to keep making this better. We might fail a few times, but that's a learning. So feel good about if you tried something and you know it didn't work because another designer can use that down the road. Right. We can document that. Um, so it's hard. <laughs> I, I know how that feels and it feels like, what am I doing? You know what? There's no defined, you know, way of doing this. Um, but I find that once you realize, okay, we're, we're going to be experimenting, then it's kind of freeing and it can be fun. Um, so yeah, just shout out to everybody that, especially the, you know, the lone conversation designer, uh, out there. I, I much respect, uh, keep, keep going on the slog. You're learning a lot of cool things. You don't even know it yet. Nice. That is that is really good. Nice way to wrap up. That's fantastic. Uh, thank you so much, Meredith. This has been absolutely unbelievable. I will put the links to uh, Live Person. I'll put the links to the Conversational Collective. I know there's a, a really good meetup that you run. Lots of really good content on there, on the YouTube channel and, and all that kind of stuff. So I'll definitely advise people to go and sign up to that. I'll put that link in there. Don't forget to go to voicesummit.ai. Use promo code VUX20 to get 20% off your tickets for the Voice Summit. VUX at Voice. A whole day long of contact center automation content. You will not regret it. And the Cognitive Workshop that we're doing on CX Automation is next week. Is it next week? Week after next, September the 1st. Go to vux.world forward slash Cognitive to join that one. Meredith, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was super fun. Nice one.